From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Wednesday, July 21st, the year 2021, coming off the final major of the year, the final uh, major in this 11-month blitz that golf has been on, and to look back on it, we welcome in from Golf Digest, staff writer Daniel Rappaport. Daniel, welcome to Teeing It Up. Thank you. Thanks for, uh, for having me. I'm glad we could finally make this work. Yes, absolutely. And... Just one housekeeping thing to start things off, as some of you who are tuning in may know, he's the Tiger correspondent. Um, look, I would not put him in a spot to ask a Tiger question for anything he knows on or off the record. Golf Digest has has reported everything that they you know that they know about Tiger's uh, situation on the record. We're not going to go there. So if you're tuning in for that, and, and, and I think you can uh, uh, back this up. Uh, uh, Daniel, if you're tuning in for a Tiger update, you're not going to find it here. Yeah, I think that's correct. Unfortunately, look, I wish I knew more. Um, if I had more to share, I would. I probably would have shared it already. Obviously, I know how big of interest there is in anything to do with Tiger, and we're doing our best to provide updates when they become available to us. That's, that's the best I can do. Yeah. There's nothing, to, nothing new to share beyond what we've already shared, I think. There is, you can read between the lines and, and see that there hasn't been any news for a while, which means probably that there's not much to report, would be my guess. So yeah. we'll keep an eye on it and we'll we'll keep a close eye on it and do what we can to, to provide updates when they do become available. But as of right now, I don't really have anything to share, unfortunately. I wish I did. I wish I did. Hey, let's just keep sending good vibes out there and hopefully we'll have good news coming down the pipeline. Um, I'm sure Tiger has texted Colin Morikawa if he hasn't already. Yeah, I would think so. What a masterful performance. Uh, Daniel was there on the ground at Royal St. George's. Before we get to the stuff on the course, um, for those of us who were here and not there, what was it like? Um, it was the most fans that golf has had since the pandemic. Yet the players were under very strict rules. We thankfully had no disqualifications from anybody breaking protocols, which I would say is a minor miracle considering how strict some of them were. So as you think back on your experience just in general on a broad sense, how, um, how would you describe it? I think you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about the, the difference between the the feeling that the fans gave and the and the player bubble. The, the fans were basically close to normal. There were 32,000 per day. They were out there, no masks. There was no mask rule. There was no social distancing. You had full stands. So in that sense, it felt very normal. But then on the other on the other hand, I had to quarantine for five days when I landed and then take a test on day two, day five, and day eight. As well as test every, that was just to get out of court. That was to satisfy the government requirements. And then to cover the tournament, I had to take tests every 48 hours. So uh, the players and the media were treated as though this was the height of the pandemic, but the fans were not. They were under a different set of rules. They, they were, I will say, kept very far away from the players. The, the ropes, the physical ropes, were a lot further away than they normally would be. So the players didn't have any sort of interaction with the fans, but there was this kind of discordant picture painted by having 32,000 fans there and having them be on top of each other and screaming and no masks, and then having the players not be allowed to even go get restaurants, go get food from a restaurant, not being allowed to walk to the golf course, 
and the media also not being allowed to be without a mask indoors. And so it was just kind of two separate realities that were playing out at once. It was a, a kind of a strange atmosphere. And I actually noticed that with the ropes, which I was surprised by because so often we, you know, look at fans as the big key in, in these events with thick rough and you know they they move the ropes back and obviously last week with the golf course playing soft um at first and then it eventually got a little firmer as the week went on were the ropes pushed back for covid reasons or to yes. try to bring the fescue into play more well i think both but i think mostly for covid reasons because there was probably on average 20 yards of fescue or gorse, whatever. I don't really know what the correct term is. I think both were correct. I think fescue is a specific type of grass, but it actually was fescue grass. So fescue is correct, and I think gorse is more of a blanket term. I'm kind of just going on a tangent here. I don't really know what the correct (laughs) word is. But whatever it was, there was about 20 yards of it between the edge of the fairway, at least, and the fans. And usually it might be 10. So it wasn't like they... There's usually fans right on top of the course and on top of the fairway. It would be in play anyways, but they did, I did make a note of that, and I asked the RNA, and they said it was further away. They, they purposely kept them further away from the players because they didn't want a situation where a player hit a ball into the fans, and the fans kind of all had to move, and then they were you know, surrounding the players, and after the player hits, like we've seen so many times with Tiger, they run up to him and try and give him a high five or touch him in the back. They wanted to avoid yeah. that possibility. If you think back to watching it on the broadcast, it didn't happen. There weren't, there weren't many balls that went into fans because the fans were kept so far offline. So I think, in a certain sense, the RNA deserves credit because although it was kind of weird to have these alternate realities, they did accomplish their mission of having a tournament that on TV looked normal where you had full fans and had no positive tests once on the ground. So it went the way that they, they wanted it to, even if the optics were a bit strange. I am with you on that. It, it really, it it looks strange, but it it, 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 it did work out. Uh, we are talking to uh, Daniel Rappaport from Golf Digest here on Teeing It Up. Um, you wrote something in your 18 parting thoughts uh, that I thought was interesting because I've long said that Brooks Kepka. Uh, the reason why he performs at, at such a high level in majors is because he cares about winning. It's all he cares about. And the run-of-the-mill PGA Tour event, no offense to them, doesn't get him as juiced as a major slash, you know, uh, World Golf Championship event does. And that's the quote-unquote major gear we've all been heard about and talked about. You then kind of looked at Colin Morikawa in in that kind of a mindset where the way he has played in these 11 months kind of transfers over, which I found interesting. I hadn't considered that. Well, it was mostly, yeah, it was mostly about the putting was was my point was, you know, you you look at his stats on the PGA Tour. So if you look at strokes gained, which I believe does include it just doesn't include the Masters, and it won't include the British Open because there's no strokes gained available. Right. But if you look at this season, yep. he's ranked, I think, 172nd in strokes gained putting, which is a terrible number for, for anyone, especially a player who is number three in the world right now. But if you look at his, the two majors that he won, he led the field in strokes gained putting at TPC Harding Park. And while there was no advanced putting statistics available at 
Royal St. George's, it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to see how well he putted the whole week, really. And especially on Sunday, he made every single putt that he needed to, including those par saves on 10 and on 15, taking the putt he made up the ridge on 14. I have to think he would have ranked at, yeah, at least 15th or better in strokes he had putting yeah. for the week. So, yeah, in one sense, you could say Colin Morita is not a great putter, but in the other sense, you can say the two majors that he's won, he's putted beautifully. There's clearly a difference. And he said it himself in his post win press conference, he said, I feel like in these pressure moments, you can kind of throw out the statistics. And you could say, who's ready to perform under the brightest lights? And he said, that's why you see the same guys. You see Louie, seems like in every major now. You see Brooks at basically every major. Rom has been a factor. You the guys who know what to practice and know how to carry it into the most pressure-packed moments. And Morikawa can absolutely put under pressure. You don't win five tournaments and 49 stars without being able to putt under pressure. So this whole he's a bad putter routine, yeah, I guess so. In the Buick Classic, which is always what I say is the, as the run of the mill PJ tournament, even though it doesn't even exist anymore. So yeah. let's say, I don't know. Hey, Palm Springs. Or, or Palm Springs, yeah, exactly. Or, or the, which you wrote in uh, even, one of your notes, yeah. Yeah, or even, <laughs> or even Wells Fargo. You know, Yeah, maybe he's not the best putter in those scenarios, but when you've put him in a position to win a major championship, he's come through twice. So maybe we need to start really thinking about how we look at regular tournaments in comparison to majors and, and really maybe start to think of them as different things because what soon enough we'll be convinced by seeing the same guys every single time that maybe it is just like a totally different sport. Yeah, and I, that's what I think is so fascinating about what he has done, which is that he has systematically with Dr. Rick Sessinghouse figured out the plan for making it work and whether it's leaning on Marco Mira for a putting tip or whether it's trusting his flop shot which basically that shot at 15 I don't think he had to play that um, you, you know any other time that I could think of over the weekend and that's very similar to the shot that he whiffed back at uh, Memorial so it, it's his way of being able to mentally conjure up the confidence to be able to achieve the way he's achieved has been really something that I've noticed and picked up on. And I think you did a beautiful job in 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 both your gamer and and the 18 uh, parting notes to kind of touch on that. And the fact that he goes 31 holes over a weekend at a major bogey free and we've seen time and time again look at John Rahm at the US Open he was the only player to go bogey free in the back nine you look at these guys who have gone bogey free and be able to make those key par saves it does remind you of some guy named Tiger who we all talked about so much back in the day um, I kind of want to shift this conversation to Louie for a second because from my vantage point you look at New Orleans and the PGA, it was that weak driver miss to the right. He then overcorrects and, and, and hooks it at 17 and into the Barranca at Torrey. And then here it was the right miss again um, with the second shot at 7. But the part that I still am having a hard time figuring out is how did that bunker shot? Get so far away from him, and and you touched I'll on. I'll tell the you, fact. I played the I played the, I 
played the golf course the next day. I'll tell you exactly how it happens. There's okay. so much sand. There's so much sand. And it's, it's, it's such a different, it's very powdery. It's, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's, it's kind of more, it's, it's less granular and more, feels like a kind of a pile of mud. But it's soft mud. And you, the, the last thing you want to do is catch it heavy. Because there's so much of it that it's so easy to catch heavy. Your, your club's not going to move as freely through it as it does the American more packed sand. This is much more powdery. So Ali was thinking, I really don't want to catch this heavy. And, that, and what happens then is you try and get a little bit closer to the ball, and it's very easy to catch it thin. But you're absolutely right. It's funny because we think of Louis as having this incredibly gorgeous, syrupy, rhythmic swing, and he absolutely does. It's probably the most aesthetically pleasing one of his generation probably I mean it's him and Adam Scott right yeah you throw Rory you throw Rory in that conversation but, yeah and he's hit some real foul balls under pressure he kind of struggles with this shot that spins up into the wind from with his irons especially the long irons that's the shot he hit on seven he hit it a couple times on Saturday too where it's it's just like a blo- really weak block cut that just gets killed by the wind and Someone asked me on Saturday night, and not to toot my own horn, but someone asked me on Saturday night, you know, do, do you think it's Louis' time? And I said, I just, as, as strange as it is to say with a guy whose swing looks the way that his does, I'm just not sure I trust it yeah. under pressure coming down the stretch. Because like you said, at the PGA Championship on 13, it's shot from the middle of the fairway in the piss and makes double. And then at the US Open, 17, he needs to find the fairway. He's got all the space from... California to Colorado on the right yes, side of that hole. Yes. And he hits it in the one place that you can't hit it. There's obviously something that happens under pressure where his swing doesn't hold up the way it does. I mean, just look at this. He, the guy shot 11 under on Friday, on Thursday and Friday. He shot 64, 65. He shot even par on the weekend. That's a huge, huge difference. So it's tough. On one hand, you want to give the guy credit for, for being second, second, third in the last three majors of the year, and he absolutely does deserve credit. On the other hand, it's another one where it's just, it's really hard to believe some of the shots that he hits under pressure sometimes. Yeah, and um, it's shocking. I, I think, you know, he also hasn't won anywhere around the world since the South African Open at the very end of 2018. So... You know, that's two and a half, almost three years without winning. And he's had a ton of chances. Yeah, and, and you know, I forget if it was Tiger or, or who it was. Somebody said back in the day, it doesn't matter if it's a $2 Nassau against your buddy or if it's the club championship or if it's, you know, a PGA Tour event. Winning something and completing all 18 holes or 72 holes or, or however large or small the event is, is significant. And, 100%. And he's not done that. Uh, by the way, just to uh, tie, the, uh, uh, tie up the loose end on the uh, strokes game putting for Colin, uh, back at workday, he was 10th in uh, strokes game putting. So, so he's had good weeks. So yeah, yeah. I, mean, I guess maybe he's not week after week up there, but I'd rather be someone who has good weeks and wins than someone who has okay weeks and doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, I, it doesn't bother me that he has weeks where he puts poorly because when he puts well, he wins. And it's happened five times. So I would, I would be willing I would be willing to bet that he's gained strokes putting in all five of those wins. So he's doing, he's doing enough when he needs to. His good weeks are good enough. He was and first exactly, at a, 
he was first at PGA, at the PGA. Yeah. So it's 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 scary. Yeah. It's a scary thought. If those good weeks that he's already capable of having, if those begin to happen more frequently, he's going to win more frequently because there have been tournaments where he's been right by the lead when he's right around average or lost stroke. Yeah, and at work day, he was 16th. Game what, was he at, what was he at concession? I think he was like 7th or 8th. Uh, he was uh, 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 strokes gained. Uh, oh, is that, is that what you were talking about when you said work day the first time? I, I, I no, 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 no. No, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> see, that's my funny thing. Like, why do you, you know, like, is he now going to win at Jack's Place every single year <laughs> since they're, uh, 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 since they're the brand new sponsor? The concession work day is where he was 10th. He was, uh, whatever I said he was last 16th. year. 16th? Yeah, 16th at, um, the uh, work day that was at Muirfield. The one time event. Yeah, and they probably didn't have strokes game for Barracuda, but there you go. So it's first at the PGA, 16th at Memorial, or at Muirfield Village, 10th at concession. And, it, and probably would have been, yeah. He would have been top 10 or top 15 at the British Open. So when he puts well, he wins. And, he's put, and he puts well. It's not like it never happens. The uh, Barracuda actually has strokes gained. Believe it or not, and he was and he was thirty third. Okay, so that's the worst one, but that's still top third or top half of the field. You know what I mean? It's he was fourth in his best category, which is his uh, uh, which is his iron play. So yeah, so you you know use that plus the Stableford scoring system, you get your putts in at the right time, and you wind up being the winner. Uh, Daniel Rappaport's with us here from uh, Golf Digest. Um, to me, Jordan Spieth's back. It's just a matter of time until he wins a major. Are you in that same camp that the way he bounced back on Sunday shows that this is just a matter of time? And it, it's a mental block, but he was able to identify it, work on it, hit 500 putts, and ultimately shoot a fine round of golf on Sunday? 100%. It's, it was a reminder on Sunday that he is the most exhilarating watch in our sport. Yeah. But, you know, he's two over through five and it looks it's so funny when Speed is playing poorly it does no one makes it look worse yes. it's like yes. he'll, he'll hit like a weak block slice right and then he'll pull up left and he's complaining to Mikey the whole time that he can't hit a shot and he's, you know, he's got an eight foot putt for par and he's halfway to the hole by the time it gets there and it just looks terrible and then all of a sudden he plays his next eight holes and six under like boom out of nowhere he has a a gear where he gets extremely extremely hot and it was a reminder. It was it brought to mind what he did against Matt Kuchar at Birkdale. You know, when he when he had that stretch, yeah, close. I think he was a five under through four or whatever it was. He has a a gear where he is able to go deep and keep pushing. And he just those putts that he missed. I mean, everyone will remember eighteen, but I think back to seventeen on Saturday, seventy five yards away from the hole, and he beats both. Yeah. So those those two strokes prove to be the difference and I'm always wary of that because of course every shot you need probably hit 267 throughout the week they all count the same but it's, it's hard not to think back to those two that he really was really sloppy with on Saturday but another guy who third at the Masters solo second at the British Open he's absolutely back he's up to number 13 or 14 in the world he's above Rory and if I had told you six months ago that Spieth, or at the beginning of the year, that Spieth will be ranked higher than Rory by the by July. I mean, it tells you two things: Jordan Spieth's playing really well, and Rory's not. And 
And that's the case even though Rory won. So for Spieth to be above him in the world rankings and to be already a shoe-in for the Ryder Cup, given how this year started, I think we need to take a moment and appreciate that we have him back because it, it, it looked for a while like it might not be the case. And then us being greedy people, as soon as he's back, it's like, yeah, he's back. You know, Of course, it's always going to happen. But it's a really remarkable turnaround, and we should appreciate having him back in the fold for sure. Yes, absolutely. And by the way, um, and... Um, this, I think, is the even more remarkable uh, metric to kind of gauge that at. We're in this super season, which obviously dates back to September of last year. With that second place finish, Jordan Spieth is now second in the FedEx Cup points race. Right, it's probably more Cowan than him. Yeah. Yep, and so, that to me, with nothing from 2020, basically, that's yeah. a part of this. This is all 2021 gains. For well, think about it. He he won he won in Texas. He finished second. At, was he second at Colonial? Is that where Kokrak beat him? I think, yeah. And then he was third at the Masters. He was second at the British Open. He's, I think, he's been T nineteen or better in twelve of his past fourteen starts or something. And he's been. You can make an argument that he's been the best in twenty twenty one. He's been the best player in the world, the most consistent, which is crazy to think about. Which is not only crazy to think about in terms of consistency, but, but crazy because he's still doing the exact, like, he's still hitting it all over the map at times. Yeah, he is, but statistically, the irons have been much, much better. Oh, that's, yeah, totally. And yeah. that's that's his calling here. You know, people think about the, the putts, and he does make a lot of long putts, but if you look back on his iron statistics in 15, 16, and even into 17, and he's top five in strokes gain iron play, or strokes gain approach, basically every single year, so... He does just enough to keep it in play off the tee, and if he's finding fairways, he seems to have developed a, a pretty reliable shot. He hits this kind of running cut that's actually not that short. It's kind of in the mid-170s ball speed, and he's been able to trust that under pressure. He's obviously shaping it both ways. We, we saw that all weekend. He's feeling himself again, and it's, it's never going to look as pretty as a, as a Morikawa in the sense that it's never going to be robotic. It's never going to be the same little two-yard cut that Colin's blessed with, but He's, he's doing enough to give himself opportunities to take advantage of his iron play when he gets a look, and he's been able to do that. He's making a ton of birdies, and it's, it's a ton of fun to watch. He's, golf is a much more interesting, especially you know, selfishly as a media guy, the quotes that he gives, it's so much better to have him there because he, he actually says things that are interesting and that are not just the, the bland, but, you know, regular cliche that you get in press conferences. So very, very happy to have Jordan back. 1,000%. Um, by the way, Spieth has not missed a cut since he missed the cut at Torrey. And that, I yeah, think, is the really, he's he's had a 30th, he's had a 48th, but everything else has been basically, you know, T19 or better. And that, to me, is just a really indicative um, metric of his consistency. Speaking of consistent, consistently rising to the top is what Brooks Kepka is doing. Here's my question, and I'm not asking you to speak out of school, but the vibe that I have gotten from looking at Brooks's body language, listening to his interviews, listening to Jenna and, and what she's talking about on social media, my sense is that Brooks is more hurt than he is letting on. And what he's doing right now with this run, even without a win since the right knee injury, is more impressive than we even realize. What's your sense from what you've been able to gather? It's possible. He's kind of put himself in a tough spot because he does play the tough guy routine, and so he can't say, 
oh, you know, I'm, I'm actually really injured and, and you guys should all appreciate what I'm doing more because my, my knee is hurt. That, that would poke a hole in his, his kind of alpha male personality. But he probably also wants people to know that he's doing this all through, through injury. So and it's still not that long since knee surgery. And I think when, when he had the surgery, I don't remember who it was. I think it was actually Ian Rappaport, the, the football guy who, who was talking about the surgery, who I'm not related to, by the way, different spelling. Um, but he was the one who said, you know, this is an injury that usually requires a four or five month recovery, and he's back at the Masters after one month. So if you think about, it's probably been about four or five months now, but he hasn't been able to, to spend any significant time rehabbing. I and mean, he has, I'm sure, because he doesn't play very much. But when you're out there preparing for golf tournaments, I'm sure that walking 72 holes and, and even more than that with the practice rounds, probably not his doctor's idea of rehabilitation so i wouldn't be surprised if after the Ryder cup he basically shuts it down until january and tries to finally get this thing right because this has been it's been two years yeah i i, I remember when it, the first time it kind of happened or showed its face was at cj cup in 19 and then he had to pull out of the president's cup so that was almost two years ago now that he's had knee issues and so he's got to get this right. He's taking time off, and he's re-injured it. And I don't know if it's a degenerative knee situation where it's kind of always going to be a, a problem, but he's been hurt for a really long time now. It really is something that I think will be interesting to uncover in, in, in the future. And I think, you know, a lot of people picked up on the I love my driver slight towards Bryson. But I thought the even deeper slight, even if he didn't realize what he was doing, was when he said... I haven't been practicing. I was in Boston. I had a blast with my buddies. We had some fun. We let loose. Um, he's doing all this basically without touching a club since Travelers. I mean, it's just ridiculous the run he's been on. I'm going to throw out a random name at you because I'm very curious about this. And I guess we're on this theme of golfers who are trying to come back. But Ricky has been in this, uh, uh, Fowler that is, um, Ricky has been slowly piecing it together and it's kind of reminiscent of what Jordan went through and yet he's, he's a little further behind than where Jordan was and I just feel like it you know Ricky's playing this week it's a fairly weak field although they do have some good top line names there at the 3M I just feel like if he can get it rolling he's got a chance to really get that finish to put himself back up into the uh you know, high high parts of the world rankings inside that top 50 because as, as your colleague over at Golf Magazine, uh, 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 sorry, as your colleague at Golf Magazine, Dylan DeChair posted, since this 11-month stretch, he's had to 104th in the world, which is just mind-boggling. And it seems like, Daniel, that, that it's only a matter of time for Ricky. He's too good to lose it for this long. And I just wonder if this next stretch with him not a part of any of these team events, not on anybody's radar for a lot of this stuff, could be his coming out party once again. Yeah, it's a funny thing. You, know, you say he's too good. You say the same thing about a long history of guys who've just kind of fallen off. You say the same thing about Hunter Mahan, who was never really seen again. You know, Justin Rose is going through a prolonged period of struggle. This is a funny game, and nothing is nothing is guaranteed in this game. And what you've done in the past does not. You know, apart from if you win a major and you get into some, some tournaments for the next five years, but what, you, what you've done in the past doesn't really guarantee you anything moving forward. And I think that's one of the things that we love about golf is that you have to continually prove yourself. The, the world rankings don't lie. They're the same algorithm for everybody. It's not like 
a pull in college football where Notre Dame's always going to get some love because they have name recognition. The, the algorithms say that Ricky Fowler's the 104th player, best player in the world, and Ricky Fowler's the 104th best player in the world. I, I do think there have been some positive signs. I think he shot. He shot five under on Sunday. I think he shot five under on Sunday at at the Open. At least that's what Google's telling me. I don't know if that's possible. Um, Sounds right. I think he, Brooks, and Xander all shot 65 from that. Yeah, so, I mean, you shoot 500 on Sunday at a major setup. You're obviously not that far off. But, no, you're right. I mean, he's playing a lot of these tournaments, and I don't think you maybe would normally see him play. Like, playing Rocky Mortgage and then also playing 3M. He's he's obviously trying to get into contention and get those feels back and and get a a victory under his belt because winning does so much for your world ranking, does so much for all these points. It's 500 FedEx Cup points for for the 3M Open, the same as it is for Wells Fargo, where there's a stack field. So I definitely think he's trying to play his way back into shape, and and he's able to do it without having the pressure of having to make quick fixes to try and put a good show up at the Ryder Cup. So who knows? You know, maybe you'll see him play some in the fall, win a fall event. Something like that could, could boost his confidence. Absolutely. He, you know, to his massive credit, he hasn't had the attitude that I'm too good for this, that you know, I'm Ricky Fowler, I shouldn't be playing these events. He's showing up, he's, he's accepting where he is in his golfing journey, and I would not be surprised to see him play a heavy schedule in the fall and play his way back into shape because there's really no other way to do it. Um, I can see Tiger's rubbing off on you because you uh, threw in some feels there. So, you know, um, how to get your feels back. All right. Um, just to some, uh, uh, just to close this interview out, every first time guest gets asked two questions that they don't know what it's coming. The only promise is that it's not a personal question. You ready? Let's do it. All right. How do you mark your golf ball? Uh, I, it's interesting. Well, I do, I, I have a line on it, like the, where it says pro E1, I, I'd make, I'd make the black line and, with the, with the tool, right. and then on the le- on the left side, underneath the title list, I do three dots that are an arrow. So it's sort of a triangle: one dot at the top, and then one dot on the left below it, and one dot on the right below it. So it's a little triangle of dots. Is there some backstory on that, or is that just what you? Yeah, the, back, the backstory is when I was 13 years old, I used to caddy for a guy at my club who played on what was then the Nationwide Tour, and that's how he did it. And I thought he was the coolest guy in the world, so I copied him. Love it, love it. Second question is, um, you got to play Royal St. George's uh, this past Monday, um, and I imagine they watered the golf course, but usually in those situations they keep the same pins. Was it all the same pins, and how was the experience? Yeah, it was all the same pins. I don't think they watered it. I don't think they do much watering at those courses (laughs) in general, but they definitely hadn't hadn't cut the greens. I'll say that much. The greens were noticeably slower, but... It was tough. It was tough. It was especially tough because I had no warm-up, so I hit a cold top off the first tee, which oh. is great because it was right after you have the conversation on the first tee with everybody, oh, what's your handicap? What are you playing off? I'm saying, oh, I'm scratched, but I hit a top off the first tee, so I'm sure they were all like, that's great. Uh, so I, I think I turned and I, I shot 42 on the front. I was kind of all over the place, hitting in the gorse, and I made the turn. I parred 10, birdied 11, parred 12, birdied 13, birdied 14, Part 15, part 16, and then I had to walk off the course to go make my flight because I had a two-hour drive to London. But I definitely brought it back to respect. It was three under on the back, so I'll always remember that with the same pins. But it was it was one of those the pins were, were tough. You really had to be in control of your of your distance. That was that was my main takeaway. Was they were cut kind of one yard, two yards above ridges, and then it would be like you had a eight-yard plateau 
where you could, if you could land it there and keep it there, then you'd have a good look at birdie. Otherwise, you're putting up slow for playing defense. So it really made me appreciate just how, how in control these guys are of, of their carry distance and, and knowing how the ball is going to react with some degree. The major season is done. Colin Morikawa is a winner of the 149th Open. Daniel Rappaport was there, and he can say that he parred some of the same holes and birdied some of the same holes that a major champion did. How does that sound? Sounds great. I birdied 11 and Colin didn't, so is he even good? Yeah, I guess you're one up on him in that sense. I'm one out, yeah. Yeah, look at that. Um, Hey, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Staff writer, Golf Digest. Also, uh, he's one of the main voices and one of the main... uh, writers behind the local knowledge podcast the golf digest podcast i really encourage people who like interesting long-form journalism to check it out because it's kind of off the beaten path yet yet stuff that's on the beaten path which i really appreciate uh is there one episode that if you were if folks asked you what do you want them to listen to just yeah. uh plug one episode go for it i would I would do the episode we did about uh, kind of golf statistics and, and the decade system that came out a month ago, kind of looking at Scott Fawcett and the, and the course management system that's math-based that he's, he's created because it's something that's growing in popularity on tour and that's something that the average golf fan wouldn't really know anything about, but I think would find really interesting. So I think it's called Golf Cheat Code or something like that. Yeah, the, the new Golf Cheat Code. So that's, that's the one I would listen to if, I, if someone said, hey, what's local knowledge about that? That's the one I would point them to. Will Zalatoris swears by it. Colt Nost has gotten in many a Twitter argument with Scott Fawcett and many a Twitter debate about it as he's commentated. So you've got the two poles of knowing how Willie Z has done it and at the same time uh, why Colt Nost comes under fire sometimes for what he says on the air. Colt's fantastic. Uh, Daniel Rappaport, thank you so much for coming on uh, the uh, Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling podcast today. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. We'll see you next time.